Welcome along to the third instalment of Coffee Break. I'm Marcus Stead, and as usual, James Easton is here. How are you, James? I'm good, mate. How are you doing? Uh, I am busy, been up against it recently, contemplating a very, very busy period ahead with work, but it's always a pleasure to... How was your January, then? My January, well, it was very... I know we had a good end to January, both of us, and that's for reasons we don't discuss in this podcast, as you know. But let's just say we finally did it, and uh, you could, uh, the listener can uh, find out what we're talking about if they have a little think. We finally did what? Well, what what could we have done maybe on the thirty first? Oh, that! Oh, that! Of course, yes. That you were out of the country when that happened. Oh, I just uh, yeah, I just had a nice dinner in Marrakesh that night. To be honest, I don't know what else happened. And for those who are still not sure what we're on about, yes, go and listen to Twenty Minute Topic, where Twenty Minute Topic last week with myself and Greg Lance Watkins lasted for a full hour, and we're not allowed to mention the B word, but here we are. Coffee break, that's a B word we can use. So your January was busier than mine insofar as travel went. Where have you been? Because you went to Marrakesh, but you, you did quite yeah, a bit was of travel. That was on holiday with the wife. Yeah. Um, we went to uh, Dubai with work, which is crazy because uh, it was actually flooded in a lot of places in Dubai because I had some really bad weather when I was there. It wasn't the hot desert that I uh, was expecting. It was uh, flood floodplains everywhere. And, so you uh, weren't on the beach then or well, there's not really any beaches there apart from man-made ones. But mm-hmm. um, no, it was uh, I had saw AMG Mercedes cars absolutely up to uh, the window height in water because mm. people just thought they'd drive through. It was crazy to see. Other than that, it was quite a quiet January, just really cracking on with things at home, getting de-Christmasing the place and really just getting on with it and thinking about where my next hot destination is going to be, booking new holidays and everything. Well, we've got we've had quite a mild winter so far, but looking at the weather forecast, that's all going to change, certainly here in Wales in the early hours of tomorrow morning. We're recording this on the evening of Tuesday, the 5th of uh, February. Um, I think we're in for high winds. It's all going to change tomorrow, isn't it? Mm, but I still think it's fairly mild for this time of year. I mean, we haven't, I haven't really seen a frost or any snow here. Have you seen it in Wales at no, all? No, we've had nothing like that. We've had not even on the high grounds up in the hills of uh, of the valleys we've had nothing like that normally by this time particularly on higher ground you have seen some snow we've had nothing of the sort it's been an incredibly mild winter but it has. Uh, and when we normally see that is whether is it going to be another blast of really cold weather before we get the sun or are we going to see something in march time maybe Who well knows? I, I recall it was two years ago now we had um snow on saint david's day which is march the th- march the first and people saw that coming for about three or four days in advance, and sure enough, it arrived. And it was um, supermarket shelves bare type snow. Oh, uh, pandemonium! And it went, it like went I on. Think the world's going to go. Yeah, it went on till about the fourth or fifth of March. So we're certainly not out of the woods yet. I know where you are down in the south coast. That level of snow is less likely anyway. But yeah, it's kind of a microclimate where I am. I think I'm protected by the South Downs. Like quite often when I go over the South Downs when I'm driving to work, it can be one type of weather and one side the other side and sun the other or the other way around. It's, it's a really weird microclimate down here. So it's meant to be one of the sunniest parts of the UK. It has won, won that award and accolade a few times in the past. I don't think it has for a while. But... So this is the Sussex coach, coast we're talking about then? Yeah, the Worthing, Bognor, mm. uh, Little Hampton part of the Sussex coast. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so it, it's been it's been an interesting January. We got lots of feedback from the previous podcast, so thank you very much for everyone who's listened to that and uh, had various suggestions for topics and everything that's going on in the world. All the light-hearted stuff we deal with here, nothing too heavy at all. And um, yeah, TV. 
I have to be honest, looking at the, the TV, the new year, you normally get lots of new mm. uh, lots of new dramas, lots of new comedies, this, that, and the other coming on TV, reality TV shows. I have to be honest, I have found the January TV schedule utterly, utterly uninspiring. Well, my wife would have to disagree with that because one of her favourite TV shows, Cold Feet's come back on. Uh, obviously, they relaunched that about three or four years ago now, and I, I never really watched it, the original series, but she obviously got me into it, and I actually quite enjoy this, and they've got some quite hard-hitting storylines with cancer and everything like that, so it's quite it's quite a good thing to watch. Well, I co- cold, cold Feet, I associate it with the late 90s into the early 2000s, yeah. and then, then it came to an end, and they brought it back, I think, what, one, maybe two years ago. And, and yeah, about three years ago now, actually. They've done, I think this is a third or fourth series back, since the series has come back yeah and they've kept it running and the characters are that bit older i'm guessing but it's 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 very good yeah it's one of those things there's various series i've never got into it's like um people talk about 90s tv stuff like our friends in the north i never watched that and people tell me how wonderful that was now i should try Mm -hmm. and catch it and uh, this life was uh, repeated on bbc4 recently again another thing i've never seen so are you now tempted to, to look out for repeats of Cold Feet from the first um, time? No, I mean, to be honest, Vicky's sat there and watched them on repeat on box sets quite a long time. I mean, you look at really what's been on in January this year. I mean, Love Island's come back for a winter series and both of us, me and yourself, don't watch that garbage. I think it's complete utter garbage. Hmm. But I've noticed... Um, I haven't really seen much of it in the press as the summer series does. So has the cold, has the um, Love Island wave been ridden a little bit too much, a bit like what they overplay with X Factor and, you know, Pop Idol and Britain's Got Talent? Have they just done too many of them and people aren't that invested in it this time? Right. I'll tell you why the broadcasters are so keen on these types of programmes. You can spend a lot of money on a, creating a drama or a comedy from scratch and people will either take to it or they don't. But even if they take to it, they no longer need the TV guide to tell them when to watch it. They can watch it on their own terms. Now, I notice um, Sky have particularly got in the habit now of what little drama they still make on Sky. They'll release, if it's a six-part series, they'll release all episodes at once. Yeah. And um, they, they, that that's because they realise that the TV schedule is effectively redundant. You can watch drama at your own time and in your, at your own convenience. And if you're recording it on your Skybox or on your Virgin Media box, you can zap through the adverts. So as far as a commercial side of things, and there's always a danger as well with a drama that viewers just will not take to it and it will flop. Now, with programmes like whether it's The X Factor or Love Island, or also live sport, this is, can be said of as well. You have to watch it live for it to have the same impact because of the continuing narrative of it. Mm-hmm. If you don't watch it live, um, you, will, you will lose something important and you will lose, you know, your phone will be going off with alerts about who got chucked off Love Island or who didn't win the X Factor and so forth in a way that drama doesn't have that immediacy about it anymore. So TV in particular... Um, the commercial channels in particular know the power in the modern age where the TV schedule is less relevant of big event live TV. Well, it's funny you say that as um, one of the shows that I love. It's a HBO American drama called Ballers starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I don't know if you've ever watched I've it. I've read about it. I haven't it's actually very good. It. It's very good. It's about um, NFL basically his NFL player Spencer Strassmore who the rock plays um was an agent well he was a financial advisor for the players and now he's a team owner in this last and it's actually the last series HBO have cancelled it because I think viewership sadly went down which surprised me because it is a good show but this year is the first year it used to be on Sky Atlantic and now it's on Sky Comedy which I think they only launched a few weeks ago Mm. and um 
it's all you can watch every episode straight away whereas before you used to have to wait week week in week out last series last four series so that's interesting i've already got through four series of that and it's a shame because normally when i get to a point of tv that i actually really enjoy this series seems to go really quick like last year it was people just do nothing which is starring um azim chowdhury who plays chabuddy g and you've got the guys that are doing an office style mockumentary about running a pirate radio station in brentford in london mm-hmm. um that was absolutely fantastic and i recommend it to anyone it's called people just do nothing it's although it's a bbc show it's available on netflix now and they announced this year they're doing a movie i think end of last year they're doing a movie which i'm really looking forward to because it's still got legs in it um and the other one that i'm disappointed it's coming to an end as well it's called modern family and i'm sure you must have heard of that because it's been running i think for 11 series now this is the final one coming to an end so it kind of really i look at it and i think what am i going to watch next and i think i'm drawn more and more towards netflix now where they do a lot of these um shows and they do release them in big bulks uh i've been watching stex education just finished watching a second uh, second series of that fantastic comedy it's not about sex education such it's about randy teenagers and the mother of one of the kids is a sex education therapist and he takes some of her tips and does his own sex ed um advice for students for money and it's just a very very good show so you're watching all the high profile all the highbrow dramas are you yeah all the really upmarket posh yeah that will educate you and broaden your mind yeah yeah exactly but i mean it's it's quite good and next month we've got um narcos mexico coming back which is a fantastic um drama on netflix which started out about the drugs trade in colombia uh, and it's now moved on to Mexico, and that's another fantastic one. The, the drama, drama, and you know the effects in that are fantastic, and it's just it's just brilliant, Marcus. And you know, I know you don't use Netflix, but I think you you have been able to watch Netflix from time to time through friends and family. But you should definitely try out some of these ones, like Sex Education and Narcos. Well, yes, because what you've articulated there, and you've done it very well, is the changing nature of TV. Um, I think the big mistake that was made in this country was about 10 years ago when Netflix began its journey, the BBC and ITV should have collaborated at that time and created a British rival to it. Let me just pause you there, Marcus. What company was offered to buy Netflix or was offered by Netflix to be bought? Go on. Blockbuster. And they turned it down. (laughs) And they turned it down. Netflix, Netflix management offered themselves to Blockbuster to be bought by Blockbuster uh, Blockbuster said it will never take off. Well, Blockbuster. <laughs> Blockbuster the irony is, of that. Well, Blockbuster now is down to just one store in the entire world. There's yeah. one in the United States. Um, I think how many stores there used to be. I mean, I remember as a kid. I remember when I was first dating ladies, we used to go to. to uh, I remember girls dating up in Manchester before I met my current Mancunian in my life. Uh, she, uh, she, me and her used to go to Blockbuster in Rochdale to get a DVD to watch. Well, I think it was even still video. I'm not even sure, but it was, it was just fantastic. It was, it was a real buzz about it. Well, do you know what, people James? moved on to Love, was it Love Film, I think, was well, bought by? It, it was. It, it was Love yeah. Film came along. But I, I just think back to those days of Blockbuster because there was one not far from where I lived. And first of all, it was Ritz, Ritz Video Shop. Then they got bought them, up yeah. by Blockbuster. And you go in there, and as soon as you open the door, that smell. 
Yes, 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 you're completely, completely right, yeah. That smell, and it was an odd mix. It's the sort of smell you used to get when walking into a cinema of popcorn, because they sold popcorn. Yeah, yeah. Um, and how can you describe it? Come on now, there's a generation 15 years younger than us that don't really know what we're talking about. Well, I remember you walk in, and obviously at the door you've got the video drop box that you could put the videos in and return them so you don't have to actually go in the store. Hmm. Um, you went in, and there was a central sort of rental desk with sweets, popcorn... And then just rows and rows of videos. And I remember as a kid, like always trying to see if there was a mucky DVD or video just for a laugh. Usually, would as a little giggling like teenager or school mm. kid to try and see. But I always remember, and I'm pretty sure I went in there with my parents sometimes. Um, and then it kind of stopped. And then Love Film, which actually, funnily enough, was bought by Amazon, mm. and it ended up being Amazon Video UK. Um, you know, you look at it and you think these things have all changed. But how how ironic! I still think it's amazing to think how big Netflix is now. Mm. that and you look at it and think that that could have been blockbuster we could have netflix would not have been around everyone would be like oh blockbuster and chill tonight as the saying goes yeah it, it could have gone that way because there were i think there were two companies that were household names that didn't embrace digital and broadband in the way they should have done and it caused their own demise one of them was blockbuster as you rightly say um, if they had launched that kind of service at that time, an on-demand um, film service, they would have still be around today. The second is Toys R Us. I think if Toys R Us had massively increased their online shop presence in the late 90s and early 2000s and had a, a, a warehouse delivery system, they may well have survived as well. And but- let, me add a, let me add a third one to that. HMV, which is still around, but it's struggling, and it's not as we used to know it. Well, HMV went bust and started again, in effect, didn't it? Well, I think they've gone bust again and started again. I I mean, I think they've announced a load of closures, but as you know for a fact, I had a temporary job at HMV, Mm. which I have to say was the worst job I ever had. Mm. (laughs) It was awful. You, You would think it was the best... I, when I got the job, I was so excited. I got into store. They put me on a DVD section, which I didn't really want. I wanted to be on video or music or games on music. Hmm. But um, the store was in Guildford. Uh, the manager wasn't a very nice person. Um, I mean, he threatened me one time with like sacking me because I wasn't quick enough to restock the shelves. And you would think, Marcus, if I said to you, if I said, if you worked at HMV and you went out into the back office in the back room, the storeroom, how would you expect like DVDs to restock to be lined up? Would you expect them to be neatly arranged? <laughs> Again, you're, you're asking me about a world would, I don't know much about. Would you, would you expect though? Would you think if you worked in a shop, hmm. would you expect stock to be neatly arranged so you can easily find it? Well, I, I'd expect it to be done in such a way that I can easily find it, particularly yes. if I'm up against the clock. So I'd walk in and there was a, a pallet-sized load of DVDs hmm. that I had to find space for on the shelf. And if I didn't, the stocking system was literally just put the pallet in the back room. And then, so there was never, if I need to get another copy, you have to spend half an hour sometimes looking for stock. And it was just awful. And I hated it. And I ended up walking out. It's the only job I've ever walked out on because hmm. it was hmm. so awful. But, you know, that was years ago. That was, that was years ago. But, I mean, it, working there then, yes, there were some great people that worked there. I made some friends. Um, but... I would never. I'd, I, I, I'm not surprised that the company's gone the way it has because they haven't reinvented themselves either. Well, there's this one of those things. It's like when we were kids, and I know we, you and I have talked about this in the past. Sunday afternoons, four till seven, you were either listening to Radio One or the Pepsi Network chart, or if you're a bit older, the Nescafe chart. You might remember, and the, the charts and the music charts were a big thing in those days. Nowadays, okay, the commercial sector seems to have given up on commercial radio seems to have given up on that 
top 40 chart completely. Radio 1 does what it does on a Friday afternoon now. But even today's younger people, today's teenagers, can't tell you what the number one is. They don't really care what the number one is. Um, I mean, I couldn't th- tell you what the number one is really anymore. I mean, I don't even listen to it. I look at Spotify I play now a lot of the time. And that's mm. what I use for my music because I don't buy it anymore. I pay a subscription every month for £15. Mm. Do you make an interesting point? Because... It- this is how television and media and the way we consume media has changed. It's like historically, if you had one of the regional ITV licenses, it was effectively a license to print money because um, there was no other way for people to, who wanted to advertise on television to reach their clients but to advertise on ITV, uh, certainly pre-1982, before Channel 4 existed. And it's only really in the, from the late 80s throughout the 90s with the proliferation of satellite television and then throughout from the late 90s throughout the 2000s into the 2010s as the internet got bigger and bigger and alternatives like Netflix came along. And you can see now it, it used to be, oh, even 15 years ago, ITV, outside of the soaps, had seven or eight hours of original drama per week. The proliferation of advertising and the downturn in advertising revenue means that that's now down to two or three hours per week. Because, for example, it is much cheaper to send Joanna Lumley on a train with a producer and one, maybe two cameras to Japan or the Himalayas and ask her to film a four-part series about Mm -hmm. what she experiences on the trains and all that and getting off in in Japan and, and everything else than it is to get a drama written from scratch, find the location filming, hire the actors, hire the producers, hire the directors, edit it down. And even after that, it still might not work. And even if it does work, people are watching and zapping through the adverts. So that has been an example of how the TV schedule has changed. I'll tell you what you don't, another thing you never see anymore or very rarely see, that is drama on ITV at weekends. Do you know why? Mm. Why? Because that, the, the weekends now are the time where their big event TV, which, as I was going back to the point I was making a moment ago, needs to be watched live. They know that, particularly on a Sunday evening for their Dancing on Ice or what have you, that is when people are most likely to be at home and most likely to have the time to watch television. That's when they put their big-ticket live event stuff on, which really you need to watch live. So drama tends to be midweek these days. And big event TV tends to be at the weekend. But so far as drama goes, it's an interesting thing because, okay, the Netflix business model is quite easy to understand. You pay X amount every month and you have access to everything there. And with the sheer number of people who are subscribing all around the world, that works as a business model. Whereas the the, the older business model, the ITV business model, and to an extent the Sky business model, where it's a mixture of subscription and advertising revenue, how they make money out of future drama is going to be a very dif- different question to answer, I think. Well, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, it's been in the news this week and it's been in the last couple of weeks and months, really, about how it might be soon. Not, not uh, They may not prosecute for not paying for the TV licence. Mm. And, you know, I think, and, and you know my views on the BBC and we don't need to go into them here, but I, I don't really enjoy watching the BBC anymore. And I don't think there's many programmes that I personally would actually miss if I didn't have the BBC. I'd rather spend my, what is it, 12, 13 quid a month on a service like Netflix or Amazon Prime hmm. to actually watch things that I would actually enjoy. And I, I don't feel 
you know, I feel they're making pure TV. There's no, yeah, there's different, there's no sort of political sides in a lot of the TVs you see on these Netflix or Amazon type shows. And I think that's why we should be given the option. I think the BBC, I think the BBC and the way they know it at the moment is quite doomed. I mean, it's going up again in April, you know, it's on the, you know, rise. And I personally don't want to pay it anymore. Well, this has been one of my bugbears for many years. Indeed, in 2005, as part of my degree, I wrote a first-class dissertation on the future of the BBC licensing. Yeah. Now, that hasn't aged well because technology has overtaken us since. We were talking about an era where blockbuster video shops were still about and love film and that was in its infancy and Netflix was still to come. But the BBC licence fee is in trouble now for a very different reason to the one I wrote about in 2005. And that is they're being hit at both ends. And by that I mean, if anyone in your household is over 75, you no longer need to pay for a TV licence, you get given one for free. Now that funding model is about to change in that it was, it was that that was paid for out of direct government funding that's now changing that'll come out with the bbc license pot itself your free tv license mm. then at the lower end of the market there are a lot of people particularly in their late teens and in their 20s and even into their 30s now who have concluded that they can consume the entertainment they watch whether it's netflix or amazon prime without the need for a direct tv connection and therefore they don't need a tv license so they're being hit at both ends from that point of view but the argument traditionally and certainly in 2004 Five when I wrote that dissertation in favour of the TV licence is ah yes it's £145 a year whatever it is, there's no adverts uh, and you can trust it to be impartial and they do it better than anyone else but I think hang on now when you say the BBC does this that and the other better than anyone else what are they actually doing better than anyone else nowadays? Mm. Now, the, the, the throwback answer you get to that very often is public service broadcasting, stuff that appeals to a minority interest. But I think to myself, are they really doing that much anymore? Because BBC4, yeah. which was actually one of the channels I watched more than any other, they used to do a lot of quite niche documentaries about some specialist interest, including some specialist interests of mine, you know, the history of railways or uh, you know, World War II two documentaries and so forth that reached a small audience a niche audience but a public sector audience public service audience rather not public yeah. sector public service now bbc fours has its, bu its budget cut right back they're doing far less of that bbc two is also doing far less of that bbc two used to be far more highbrow than it is now now you might say ah yes but what about things like five live well radio five live we've seen well even in the last couple of weeks there's a story from january the sheer number of staff they've lost who are from solid journalistic backgrounds who have either left or are about to leave whether it's john inverdale mark pugach rod sharp on up all night who's leaving next month for good um after ooh, 25 26 years when did it launch 1994 so he's leaving and radio five live is, is replacing that they're, they're chasing a non-existent youth audience with a lot of light and fluffy programming. Well, I don't think that's a good use of license fee money. I think Radio no. 4 has been dumbed down. And, if, for example, if you do want news talk nowadays, if that's what you're after, well... LBC is now a national station. It used to be London only, but you can get LBC across the whole United Kingdom now. Talk Radio is doing news talk on certain times of the day. There's a lot of lightweight programming on there as well, but they're doing some news talk. And we're about a month, month and a half away maybe from um, the, new, the new Times Radio station. It's going to be called Times Radio. 
uh, again, that'll be part of Murdoch's empire, but they are being touted as a direct competitor to Radio 4. Beyond that, you've got um, global news channels to watch. You've got RT UK, you've got TRT, you've got Al Jazeera. So if you want global perspectives and documentaries and news-based documentaries, what I'm getting at, James, what is the BBC doing now in this day and age that is so special that it demands a compulsory tax from all of us? I can't, I can't say, I can't give you the answer because I don't think there is. Mm, mm. You know, in days where piracy is so raft on about getting TVs mm. and TV programs and you know, people can pay a few hundred, few 50 to 100 quid a year mm. to get something over the internet to be streaming, you know, are you surprised that people don't want to have their TV license anymore? Because, you know, everything is so expensive now. You know, you look at, if you, I think someone worked out if you wanted to see every single football game, which you used to obviously be able to see on one provider of Sky Sports all the years ago before the EU meddled, mm. um, it over cost you over a hundred quid a month in theory if that's what you want to pay and watch every single sort of broadcasted Premier League and Football League match now, and I think that's ridiculous. 50, 100, over a hundred quid a month. Well, yeah, and you, you've got to add something else to that. If you're also a boxing fan, you'll have to add at least one boxing pay per view per month on average. Well, there you go. It's just it's just absolutely stupid because I really really don't uh, you know we could we going off on a tangent but you well, know well, it's, we, it's, we are but it's an interesting tangent I'm is, quite yeah. I'm quite happy to continue this discussion because for example I was thinking about this earlier on and, and I got I got thinking quite deeply about this boxing in this country today has never been better British boxing has never been in better shape and there's a reason for that and that is when the National Lottery launched in the mid-1990s it was decided that a lot of the money the government raised in tax from that was going to go directly into promoting Olympic sport because we were talking in the era I remember the 96 Olympics when Britain won just one gold medal it was the rowing gold medal we won just one gold that year and that was the low watermark but John Major was Prime Minister at the time and he said look we've just started this lottery stuff we're going to invest in grassroots sport particularly olympic sport in a major way and you've got to wait a generation for it to bear fruit but sure enough by the time of the beijing olympics in um 12 years later 2008 things were looking good and then london we obviously know about was a huge success and then the olympics that have come since then the brazil olympics of four years ago that was a success for this country as well and boxing has been one of the key elements of that now in terms of british boxers holding world titles and commonwealth titles and european titles this is a truly golden era but in terms of public awareness of boxing it's lower now than it was in the 70s and 80s. Now, I don't know how much... I know you like watching Anthony Joshua, but you, you're not as avid a boxing fan and a followed... Oh, mate, I, you, could, you could ask me about boxing. I wouldn't have a clue. I don't know the ins and outs. I watch it if I'm around. That's all. Yeah, but the, the reason I re- mention this to you, I'll tell you a little bit about the background. What you used to get, for example, is on a Wednesday night on BBC One, the main evening news in the 1970s and into the 1980s was at 9pm, not 10pm. And then at half past nine, you'd have um, Sports Night, which was a mini grandstand on a Wednesday night. And very often, uh, they'd go straight over to the, either the Royal Albert Hall or, or Wembley Arena when they went on air, and you'd have either a British or Commonwealth title fight at half past nine on a yeah. Wednesday night. And most 
people who were sports fans in Britain would be able to tell you who the British heavyweight champion was, British middleweight champion, the Commonwealth middleweight champion. They would be household names, you know, fighters like John Conte and Frank Bruno's journey up the ranks in, uh, in the early 1980s before he made it at world level. And then ITV, as the 1980s progressed, there was a sort of cartel of promoters who had contracts with the BBC, the likes of Jarvis Astaire and Mickey Duff and people like that. Frank Warren, when he came through, um, a, a rebel promoter at the time working with Frank Maloney, who we now call Kelly Maloney, signed a, a deal with ITV and their programme Midweek Sports Special was a rival to um, Sports Night on the BBC. They were doing the same things. Then on Saturday night, um, you'd have world title fights regularly on the BBC or ITV. Grandstand and the ITV rival World of Sport in the 1970s and 80s would show you on tape the previous weekend's big fights from the USA now nowadays how many people can really tell you who the British heavyweight champion is or the Commonwealth middleweight champion because all these fights are tucked away on subscription or even pay-per-view channels Mm. I mean talking changing the subject a little bit talking about the sport that we are going to like the um the darts Premier League starts again tomorrow in Aberdeen it does. I'm very, very much looking forward to that because um, I think they've got the pick right. They've got the best 10 players in the world at this time. You know, you've got the world champion Peter Wright, Michael Van Gerwen, Gary Anderson, Gerwin Price. They're all in there. But you've also got these challengers um, to, to make up the set because the challenger concept or they, they, what they call the, the challengers or the contenders, because they changed the wording of it, weren't they? They were challengers last mm. year. They're contenders this year, I think. Or have I got that the wrong, wrong way around? You've sprung this one on me. I'd have to check. But <laughs> um, last year, of course, when Gary Anderson had his injury, um, they didn't, and they realised he wasn't going to be back for the rest of the Premier League campaign. The people promoting it realised they had to do something about it. So they brought a challenger along every week to make up the numbers. And this year, looking at the various people, I mean, it, when it's in Wales, when they ha- have their night in Cardiff, it's likely to be Johnny Clayton. I know yeah. in Nottingham, it's going to be Fallon Sherrick. Um, Is that the, where she's going to go, yeah? The Sherrick of Nottingham. How's that? <laughs> very good, very yeah. good. I've I, I got to give someone else credit for that, but he knows I was going to say, uh, you should be a marketer for that. I didn't think of it. Somebody else takes credit for that. Um, <laughs> but, th- th- yeah, so it's going to be a different person making up the numbers every week, but this is going to be every Thursday night now. Um, I think we well, I think very early on, it could even be tomorrow night, I'd have to check the fixtures, one of the first up will be a replay of the World Championship final, Peter Wright against Michael Van Gerwen. Well, Peter mm-hmm. Wright, last weekend, of course, he won the, um, the, the Masters in Milton Keynes. Uh, that went to a deciding leg. It was him against bully boy Michael Smith, who was runner-up in the uh, World PDC World Championship last year. Well, Michael Smith had three darts, or well, six yeah, darts at a that. double. How six did darts, he not get that? Six darts at a double, missed them. Peter Wright comes back. Wins. On his third and final dart he won, though. He missed. He nearly missed out as well. He himself. did, he did. Well, the thing about Peter Wright, of course, is that up until his win at the Ali Pali on New Year's Day, he'd been in 10 PD, big PDC televised finals and lost nine of them. And I include in that the um, the Champions League of Darts event last October, which was on the BBC, yeah. where um, he had, I think it was a four-leg lead over Michael Van Gerwen that night, and he blew it. So mm. Peter Wright had a bit of a reputation for bottling it in big finals. And of course, you've got to close the deal. But New Year's Day, when he won that world title, and he won it well against Michael Van Gerwen, he proved that he is in the big league. Um, so... I am looking forward to this because obviously it's every Thursday night and in between that, the thing about the players, that the nine players who are in it plus the contenders or the challengers, whatever you call them, 
in between that, they'll be playing other tournaments at weekends, and there'll be lots of travelling to do in between. So it's a gruelling schedule if you're in the big time of darts nowadays. It is, isn't it? And do you remember, like probably fifteen or so years ago, when we'd only really have the World Championship and the match play on TV, and now look how much we've got on TV now. Well, my memory goes back a bit further than yours to the very early days of the PDC, and again, there's a very, very good podcast on the Talk Podcast website when I interviewed Shane Bulldog Burgess, who uh, is a runner-up three times in PDC major finals. He lost two of them against Phil Taylor. And Shane was, it's a wonderful, it's a, it's a wonderful hour of, of, of uh, podcasting that I'd recommend anyone who hasn't listened, please listen to it and go and buy his book called Everyone Gets 15 Quid. And um, the thing about Shane is he's, he's a little bit too young to have been part of the generation of uh, Eric Bristow, Jockey Wilson, John Lowe and all that lot. And by the time darts was on a high again by the uh, early to mid 2000s, he'd, he'd lost his way. It, it, he, so his peak years when he really was one of the best was when the early years of the PDC, when it was hard to make a living. Now, let me ask you, James, the second year of the PDC World Championship, when Phil Taylor beat Rod Harrington in the final, Circus Tavern per fleet in Essex, do you know what his first prize was? What was that? £12,000. And look at it now half a million pounds now it's crazy isn't it and it, i i the thing is i i'd like to play tribute if i may to all those players not just players but people like uh, dick alex and the late tommy cox phil jones sadly no longer with us as well who had the bottle to take that risk 1992 93 and the players the abuse they suffered from the bdo at that time as shane says in his podcast and as many others said Shane went to play, he played at, because he played for Sussex, and he found that the Sussex dart scene was not competitive enough for him, so he moved across to Kent, and the standard in Kent was higher, and he went to play, even though he'd signed up with the PDC, what we now call the PDC, what was called the WDC in those days, he went to play a match for Kent, and some people had come down from wherever, and he went to sign in on the day, Super League level or county level, and they said, sorry, Shane, we can't let you play because he'd already signed up. So people he'd known for years and years were suddenly not speaking to him or not letting him play. It's crazy, isn't but it? But th- every single one of those players that broke away has a similar Well, I'm story. hoping soon you get your book written that you've had in the pipe work for a long time. It'd be fantastic to see. Thank you. You know for... a lot about the history about it. So I'm hoping this year, 2020, by the end of it, we might have a little book or something I can read. Thank you for mentioning that. I have started it. What it is, James is referring to, I'm writing a book about the history of the BDO-PDC split and all that went on in the early 1990s. Now, I'm pretty well connected in dark circles and some quite well-known people have agreed to speak to me. But the story of what went on, um, again, listen to the podcast with Shane for fuller details. But the long don't and short too much of it, away, cause we want you to buy your book at the end of the day, don't we? <laughs> well, well, yes, but this is a very, very good starting point for those who aren't familiar with what went on. 1988, um, there was plenty of darts on both the BBC and the I- on ITV. Greg Dyke pulled the plug on all of ITV's darts coverage at that time. At the BBC, there were cuts made to the BBC North Sports Department in Manchester. Um, the, certain sports there were run by a guy called Nick Hunter, who had his little empire from Manchester. Darts, bowls and rugby league were all cut back at that time. The only darts left on uh, terrestrial television at that time was the old BDO Embassy World Championship in the first week of January. So in other words... If you lost in the first round of that, and you just played badly once, in effect, 
people would think you were rubbish. Well, you weren't rubbish, you just played badly once. But then that in turn would affect your ability to make a living on the exhibition circuit. So this situation dragged on for two to three years and the players led by Eric Bristow met up with Ollie Croft, the BDO chairman. And um, they said, look, Ollie, can you guarantee getting us back on the telly? And he said, well, no. And they said, well, you know, something has to be done. So the WDC, as it then was, the original plan was to run the WDC within the BDO framework and, for you know, persuade Ollie Croft to take a sort of life president type role. He was having none of that. The lakeside at 1993, January 93, the last unified world championship, the atmosphere at the lakeside was poisonous because a load of players were wearing WDC uh, patches on their shirts. They were told by officials in no uncertain terms to rip them off. Um, And um, that was the start well, they knew then that there was no way back and that it was clear the split was going to happen. But you know what, James? I, even today, I was watching them, the latest um, YouTube video Chris Mason, my good friend Chris Mason, has given. And he talked about something I hadn't heard before because Chris Mason was PDC, went to BDO, then went back to the PDC again. And he told a story about something that happened at the lakeside in the year 2000. Have you seen this video yet? No, I haven't, no. told a very interesting story. It was about the year 2000. The number one seed was Mervyn King. Number two seed was Chris. And um, they were told, he thought that the rules were you can have two shirt patches with sponsors of your choice. He was then told um, on the day that you have to take one of them off and you have to put, um, you can only have one. So deals that were already in place were effectively null and void. From the player's point of view, they had to rub their own sponsor's noses out of joint and they had to put on instead a patch of some bingo company and they were told um, you'll get 15 pounds, one five, 15 pounds for wearing the bingo patch. And, well, you can imagine this didn't go well. So Chris got all the players together who were due to play on that first afternoon, which included obviously himself and number one seed Mervyn King. And they said, look, this is totally unacceptable. Shall we tell Ollie Croft and Robert Holmes and all the rest of them that we're not playing? And the players said, yeah, go on. This is going to look highly embarrassing because BBC Grandstand were due to cover it that afternoon live. So they went to Ollie Croft and Robert Holmes and people like that and said, look, we're not playing. And they said, Ollie and Robert said, okay, then don't play. So they played this game a high stakes, okay, don't play. In the end, Chris and Mervyn and all the rest of them backed down. I personally don't think I would have done, but of course it's easy for me to say that sat year 20 years later. I wasn't there at the time. So, you know, easy for me to say, admittedly. But this is the sort of nonsense that was going on um, as, as late as 2000. So it's a nasty business. It is a nasty business, mate. And, uh, you know, I'm for one looking forward to reading a bit more about it in your book. Uh, let's hope you get it get it out this year. So, um... well, on, on a serious note, I, I, I don't mean this in a flippant way at all. Yeah. But I need to get a move on because th- the last few years, so many people who I would like to have spoken to and interviewed have died. Um, let's work it out now. Eric Bristow, Tommy Cox, Phil Jones, Martin Fitzmaurice, Ollie Croft... Um, I could go. I don't know what health Tony Green is in these days. I, I'm not a Tony Green fan, to put it mildly, but it, it, people are getting older, I'm afraid. They are. And that's why get the interviews locked down and then get it done 
and I'm going to be first in the queue for a signed copy. Good man, good man. We look forward to that. And but uh, moving on to that, you know, one thing I've been listening to talking about podcasts is: uh, Have you ever listened to Peter Crouch's podcast? Probably one of the only good things to come out of the BBC nowadays. I, I say through gritted teeth. I've heard about it. I haven't listened to it. It's very good, Marcus. I do recommend it to people listening. I mean, obviously, listen to us first. But if you need to listen to some more things to get you through the month, why not listen to Peter Crouch's podcast? That Peter Crouch podcast, very funny, gives an insight over to his career. And I, I've always liked Peter Crouch. Like, don't get me wrong, as an Englishman. He was a very frustrating player to have as the England national squad. Obviously, he's never played for a team that I supported. But end of the day, I'm, I, I do like the guy. Do you know? Did you know I had a chance to write a book about him once? No, I didn't know that. No. Yeah, this goes back to ooh, 2006 when um, I was doing stuff for the Haters Agency. They sent me an email um, saying, "Do you want to do a book on Peter Crouch?" And I thought, "Wow, this you know I hadn't even written a book yeah. at all by that stage." In those days, um, again. I, teenagers it was quite normal in those days before smartphones for many days to pass between people checking emails and replying the world was a slower place back then um, because you had to physically sit in front of your computer and check through everything so I replied about three or four days later saying yes by which time they had offered it to somebody else um, and they said oh but instead you want to write one on Frankie de Tori which sure enough I did and sure enough did very well but I'm glad you mentioned that I'm also glad I'm very very happy to say Danny Baker is back podcasting. Oh, yeah, I saw that, actually. Yeah, I, I've never actually listened to one of his podcasts, but well, he's freed, I like the guy. He is freed from the shackles of the BBC now following his sacking last year. And he's, again, I think these are, Danny, I think, is a unique broad, broadcaster. He's been around a long, long time now. He's been doing this stuff since before I was born. I think these are brilliant topics that he's got on the latest edition of The Treehouse. Topic one, get this, the shortest distance anyone's ever gone on holiday. That's not I'm bad, is to... it? No, I can't. I mean, I can't, I can't answer I, it, but you I throw that out to listeners. Myself. People will yeah. come up with good answers. Topic two, your parents acting out of character. Yeah. Topic three, the story of your middle name. Topic four, you couldn't turn it off again. Think mm. they all four of those topics have potential for listeners. I think maybe for the next, maybe for the next, uh, uh, coffee break podcast we should maybe get some of the listeners to tweet either of us or reply to your posts on facebook and on socials and actually say what would you give us four subjects and we'll talk with them well yeah we, we, we can certainly do that I mean, my middle to... name my middle name is my father's my dad's dad's name so that's that one yeah I've, I've got a very similar story i've got the same middle name as my father and his father before him I can't um, so the, the shortest place i've gone on holiday there's no point asking me as i work for an airline and my holidays are normally quite glamorous and far away as you know well yeah but there, <laughs> there will be people listening out there and again danny's been doing this sort of radio for years who you know i i think now um it was quite normal actually for people living in south wales to go to barry island for their holiday now Barry Island used to have a, a Butlins um, camp there years ago and, and you know it's only 5, 10, 15 miles down the road but there'll be someone somewhere listening to Danny's yeah. podcast in particular who will talk about going three doors down where there was a holiday camp or something yeah. like that in the 1960s you lived in Hastings or somewhere and there was a holiday camp which just happened to be three doors down from where I lived and we went and stayed there for a week you know there, there'll be someone somewhere I'll have a really daft story like that that's what I'm getting at yeah yeah I can completely agree with that yeah no yeah. it's uh it, or, or someone I think that's won a 
won a hotel stay or something like that you know i could win a hotel stay in my hometown and think that could be a, in some way a holiday i guess that could be maybe you could class it when me and vicky got married as you know we got married our wedding ceremony was in brighton mm. and we went back a year later as part of our wedding package as a one-year anniversary and i guess you could class that as a mini holiday so that was probably the shortest distance i've been yeah yeah but there'll be some real you know mickey taking prizes uh holidays or prizes people have won one of my favorites is um inappropriate raffle prizes now i've got a good story on this one it was at the welsh media awards about two three years ago and um the the, the prize was a full swedish body massage now people in the welsh media who might appreciate a full swedish body massage i don't know maybe ben azakar the weather girl on bbc wales might like a full swedish body massage or ruth wignall who does the weather on itv might appreciate that who won it the draw comes out i think it was hugh edwards who did the draw who won it it was a guy and again people in wales know who i'm talking about outside wales you probably won't a guy called vincent kane who lives okay. in cyprus now he's long retired um, he is called, the, they call him the Welsh Jeremy Paxman. He's, he was 82 <laughs> years of age at the time. He's this hard as nails, real hard interviewer, no-nonsense investigative journalist and interviewer who retired to Cyprus t- some years ago but was at the awards ceremony that night and made a speech. Came over, an 82-year-old man, hard as nails, full Swedish body massage. So oh. inappropriate raffle prizes is another good one. Wow, it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> Can you top that? No, I can't. <laughs> Can you? Uh, n- not for me personally, no. I- I've been quite... I- I've only won rubbish I don't really want at raffles, but nothing embarrassing or anything like that. Um, I can't think the last time I ever went into a raffle, to be honest. So, Have you ever won a raffle? I think... I think. Well, I've, you know, for me, I've won competitions on like media and social media and stuff. Um, mm. I've, I think that the only type of raffles I do are at Worthing FC, I do the sort of 50-50 raffle or the sort of goal time raffle guess the goal time and you know that's the kind of thing i do but apart from that not really any so i'm not in it to win it from many things you know maybe the odd flutter on the football and betting game if i get some odds or something but... yeah well that's that's a gamble that's not a raffle is yeah well a raffle in some way is a bit of a gamble because obviously you're putting money into something you might win you might not you know yeah it's sort of it's a it's a bet in a loose term but you don't expect to win it, do you? That's the thing no. with, with a raffle. So talking of Worthing, you are now a commentator. Yeah, yeah. I'm commentating on our service, rebelyell.live. I'm one of the commentators. There's a main commentator. And I do Come on, give it give it a proper plug. Come on, you're on uh, here now. Well, Talk about- well yeah. It's, um, it's, we started it off uh, versus Leverhead in uh, the Velocity Trophy a few weeks ago. And we did our first league game against chess Hunt in the league and Worthing still unbeaten in a long time top of the league by five points which is great mm. at the moment so it's a real good high in the club and you know we purchased uh, a subscription to Mixler which is a broadcasting website which I'm sure you've been in the industry and have heard about before yeah um, this is all done through the supporters association of Worthing which I'm now on the committee of which is fantastic um, it's a really really good good, good system you know mm. and um, it, it, we've got some microphones to use my laptop we've been uh, I've been even chatting to you about getting some intros done which you're helping me with and you know we're hoping to launch it and obviously with promotion possibly on the, the horizon come on you're top, you're top of the league you're not going to blow it from here are you base. well well one, when I will start thinking about real promotion will be next weekend. On the 15th, we play Folkestone, who are second in the league and five points behind us. If we beat them, we'll be eight points. That's when I can start maybe thinking. 
Yeah, so you're not counting your chickens just yet, no. a bit like Liverpool but in effect. No, 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 not exactly. No, not at all. But um, we've also got the fanzine, which we launched at the beginning of the season, and we're soon to start another podcast, which obviously I've got all the tips from doing this with you, Marcus, on Talk Podcast Platform and Coffee Break and our podcast. We're going to start a monthly review podcast of Rebel Yell, the podcast. Um, so yeah, I'm sure you've said you'll promote it on here. You'll send a little link, which would be great. See what your listeners we'll, we'll, think. We'll See, stick it on the talk podcast platform if you want to spread. Yeah, that would be amazing. Help spread the word a little bit, and you know, see see what your people that don't know anything about Worthing and maybe even non league football um, hear about what we we got to do. We have got some really good features coming up, um, things that we're really excited to talk about and discuss. So. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to putting it up. But I know you listened to it last week and you enjoyed the commentary. I'll be again. I, I did. I, I I have a lot of time for people because I know to run any football club, particularly at non-league level, requires a lot of volunteers and a lot of people have to put a lot of hours in just to keep the whole thing ticking over. And you find at non-league level, whether it's uh, national league, whether it's the lower tiers that the level Worthing play, whether it's the Cymru Premier in Wales, you, there's that sense of community you get. At, you get the sense that there's a lot of volunteers. I mean, I've been going to a few Barry. Town United matches recently. I was at an absolutely fantastic 7-1 victory over Carmarthen Town um, just uh, on the 18th of January, in fact. Now, uh, I sent you the goals from that the other day. Did you see them? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was great, wasn't it? A real 7-1, wasn't it? 7-1. Well, boom, 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 boom. Kane McLagan really was in the room to get the chant going <laughs> there. There was an absolutely superb volley, and then there was a later goal from him. Former Southampton player Kane McLagan scored two goals of the seven that night. It was fantastic. But what you realise just being there is whether it's the person serving the teas and the coffees or the girls behind the bar or um, the volunteers who, who sort the pitch out and everything else, there's a real community feel that everybody has to pull together to do their bit to keep these clubs alive. It's and the same at Worthing, mate. I mean, when's mm. your next Barry game going to be? Or when are you eyeing up? I don't know when I'll go there. They're playing on the 22nds. They're playing Carnarvon Town on the 22nd because for those who... Oh, no, sorry. No, no, no. We got a, There's a game on the 8th, um, Saturday the 8th, against Connors Queen Nomads. That, that's at home. I beg your pardon. And what's happened now? There's been a slight. Is that gap. this Saturday? Uh, yeah, it will be. But there, can you well, go? Can you get to that one? Um, I don't know. I'd probably not because of work commitments, but I may do. Um, but look, looking at it now, the um, the Cymru Premier is split in two, like they do in Scotland. Um, so the, the remainder of the season is it'll it'll be all tough games all the way from here on in for uh, for, for unbelievable Barry Town. Um, but it's it's an exciting league. They're looking at it now. They're, they're in fifth position at the moment as things stand. Um, and obviously they'll have to play the likes of Newtown, Bala, Carnarvon, Connorsky Nomad and the New Saints. The New Saints have got a four-point lead at the top of the table. Um, TNS, uh, Jeff Stelling's favourite team, that is, of course. Um, so I, yeah, I will get down there tonight. again because I like the atmosphere and I like the sort of people you meet there. Um, and it's it's quite a story that the, the revival of Barrytown United after um, all that they went through in the 2000s and the early 2010s um, and the fans there are loyal to their cause. So you get the same feel at the football you watch at, at, at non-league level there. So if Worthing get promoted from this, they're in the National League South next season, aren't they? National League South, uh, which in theory is two promotions away from the Football League and League Two, but obviously that's a very big step up because as you would know and I know that you have to go full-time for that. You would be able to do that as a part-time club as we are now. So, you know, at the end of the day... Yeah, it's an amazing, amazing thought. You know, there's a lot of things that we're we're looking forward to doing soon. Yeah, yeah. So, how if when they take that step up, what changes will need to be made to the club for that step up? 
Well, I'm not 100% sure. From what I've heard is I think they've got to add a few more seats in the stand. I think there's got to be a minimum amount of seats and I think they've got to redo a few more of the other stands. There's got to be like three or four different entries to the ground and uh, easy way of segregating the ground, which as you, I know you don't know yet, but in, uh, in, um, non-league at Worthing we we basically we mix it's not like going to Cardiff or Swansea as you did with me versus Charlton and you're stuck in one end it's going all of the you know you just basically swap ends at the end of the match which is fantastic so each half you're basically behind the goal your team's shooting towards which is brilliant so I mean there will be segregation some things need segregation different Mm -hmm. entries different turnstiles I think they've got to replace and put more of a a room over some part of the stadium so these things cost money so the Isthmian league is what the seventh or the eighth tier well you got league premiership championship one two conference conference south slash conference north it's the seventh tier yeah yeah so if you get promoted then you'll be in the same league as Merthyr Tidville next or Merthyr town next season are they in the conference south then uh they are in the southern football league is what it says here no, so that we wouldn't be in the same league then. Are you, are you no, sure? We'd, got to, we'd be up to the National South. Because it, it says here, the Southern League, currently known as the Bet Victor Southern League. Yeah, uh, so they're, they're basically, I think, so let's see, we're Murphy Tidville FC. They're in, um, so they're in the Bet Victor Southern League, which I think could be the league, that's the league that they could go into. Yeah, so we could be playing the same league as them, yes, but they're not, they're the same, it's the same level as us and they'll get, there's promotions into the conference now. Well, it says here, together with the Isthmian League and the Northern Premier League, it forms level seven and eight of the English Football League system. Yes. So what they'll do is, Murphy Tidville, if they would gain promotion as champions, they'd go up into the conference south like Worthingwood. Ah, okay. So they're they're in the same position as you They're in the same position, yeah. There's about two or three different leagues because the thing with the Ismian League at the moment is they're grouped into different regions. So the travel, Mm. obviously travel for football clubs is massive, Mm. um, which is what would happen if you got up to the conference as it is. There has been calls, or a national league as they call it now, but there has been calls to make League 2 a regionalised system to save on costs. And that's maybe what could prevent clubs like Bury and Bolton nearly going bust because of the... The cost travel is a huge thing, especially imagine. I think Dover Athletic played, I think Barrow yesterday, mm. which is in Cumbria, mm. well, and they well, had they had to travel all the way down to Dover, as you know, in the far right hand corner of the country. So you think of the cost of that to the club. Well, did you know that historically, even at football league level, the lower tiers used to be regional. If you really? go back, if you go back far enough, I'm talking 1950s here. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a place for the League Two to be split in half and be regionalised, but whether we'll ever see it, I think it would help clubs a lot nowadays. I mean, it, but then again, the conference you've got all over the country, so it's going to be an interesting journey. I don't want to count my chicken count my chickens yet because uh, before they've hatched, because I, I, I obviously there's still a little way to go. Yeah, this run we're and, on is amazing. The team seemed great and bonded. I, I went to Brightling Sea away in um in middle of January and we were on the coach which we shared with the players and there was a great atmosphere on the coach. The players were all happy. The management was great. There was some real good banter and real it was a real great experience that was and something I'd like to repeat again and it just shows how fantastic and how bonded the team seem at the moment. Yeah, but this this brings me into um, what I was discussing with Jeremy Jacobs, who's a big supporter of Margate, who play in the same league as Worthing. And yeah. he, sa- he said to me, um, we were talking about um, the formation of the, um, 
that, that what was then called the League of Wales in 1992-93. Now, Jeremy can remember, because he's been supporting Margate for a very long time, he said in that era, before then, Barry Town and a number of other teams were playing in the same league as Margate. And the reason, as you and I discussed in, in the first pubcast we did, actually, the uh, FA, uh, FAW... Uh, uh, Secretary General, as the title then was, a guy called Alan Evans, who died a few years ago. He was yeah. concerned that FIFA were considering taking away Wales's status as an international football team, and he was trying to create a Team GB. And he knew that one way around this was to create a League of Wales. And yeah. what happened was, is that a lot of the teams, um, they were called the Irate Eight, and Barrytown was one of them, Newport County were another, Merthyr were another, Colwyn Bay were another, wanted to stay within the English system for two reasons. One, eventually you could end up gaining professional status by making it to the Football League. And two, even if that day never comes, the sheer travel costs of travelling between South and North Wales and the poor transport links and the need to stay in hotels would be prohibitively expensive for a lot of clubs. Now, the end result was because um, the Irate 8 had to play their matches outside of Wales while the court case was being prepared and then took place, what, three, four years later, a lot of them, including Barry Town, ended up joining the League of Wales, but Newport County and Merthyr Town, or Merthyr Tidfil as they then were, stayed firm and stayed in the English system. Newport County have now got professional status. Merthyr Tidfil will be just, or Merthyr Town as they now are, we just talked about their status. So it gives you an idea of... Um, the bitterness that existed in the early to mid-90s in Wales when the non-league teams were being forced out of the English pyramid system to create what we now call the Cymru Premier. And um, you've told me that story before, so uh, it's quite... You're making me feel really sleepy now, mate, and really tired, so I think I'm going to go to bed in a minute, and you'll know why I'm going on to this, because I think you've got a story to tell us about a pillow. And a yeah, pillow. yeah, I'm sorry for sending you to sleep, but I'm sure a lot of listeners will love that story. <laughs> well, do you see what I did there? Yeah, it's clever. It's clever, but well. you're trying to make out I'm boring my listeners. Well, right? well to be honest, knowing you over the years, mate, you've sent me to sleep quite a long time. I'm actually saying that. I do actually think Marcus keeps me awake on my long journeys home from work a lot of the time when he chats. I just let him speak. I set him off on a topic and he just goes for a half an hour and it keeps me awake when I'm on my way home uh, when I've been doing a long shift at work. Oh, yeah. Stick, stick me in a radio studio for three hours. I'll have a conversation with myself. No problem at all. Mm. You know that. Marcus said and uh, he'd been the new Steve Allen. He could talk to himself. Well, Steve Allen manages it for three hours a day on LBC. Yeah, I yeah. know. Four I'm sure you could do something similar. Maybe a replacement in the future. But anyway, yeah, tell us about this pillow. I've uh, yeah, no idea I, what you're I, going I, on. I, Marcus, fine. let me give you a background. Marcus texts me. When we are talking earlier, when we always when we always plan this podcast, we always say, what are the loose things we're going to talk about? Normally, we go off on a tangent, which we have done tonight, but to good, to good avail. But Marcus said... He wants to talk about the importance of a good pillow, and he has a story on this, and he'll know, and I'll know what he means. So I, I, interesting, because I do agree, a good pillow, and some of the hotels I'm lucky enough to stay in, the pillows are just like a dream to me. I, I, I do feel um, a, a sense of responsibility here because if I, I've not been sleeping well recently, and I realise it's because I've, I've had cheap pillows, and it causes neck pain, it causes higher back pain. And last night, I went, I went out to Argus and I bought a £45 Silent Night memory foam pillow. Now, I used to have one that lost its shape um, years ago, a couple of years ago. And it's really ever since then I've not been sleeping well. And I find that cheap pillows lose their shape and their feel very, very quickly. So I, uh, I bought a Silent Night pillow. And I have to say, last night, just sort of sinking into that memory foam pillow was a wonderful, wonderful feeling. And I would say to people, if you're not sleeping well, if you're tossing and turning for crying out loud, invest in a decent 
pillow. It will well, my you. brother-in-law works for a company called Soak and Sleep in Guildford, and I've had one of his pillows before, and uh, obviously over time it wears down. I had it for about three years. I've got a new pillow, and I actually got one from Berry Market, where my wife is from in Manchester, and it cost me a tenner. It's a hotel-style pillow, and I'd say that's a very comfortable one as well. So mm. I guess uh, it's, a, it's a good thing to have a good pillow. And as, as you know, for me, I like a good night's sleep, uh, and I need a good night's sleep a lot of the time for my job. Mm. I mean, I'd say you need a good night's sleep, but you have more like a good day's sleep because that's your sleeping pattern yourself. Well, I, I, I write a lot, and I find I write very well in the early hours of the morning. I always have done going back to university. I used to write great big long essays, wait for the sun to come up, go in and hand them in first thing in the morning. I, I've, I've, I, for some reason, I just write well at night. I think there's, it's, a, it's a nice calmness about the middle of the night, and I see, just seem to get a lot done. But, um, yeah, so what I'm saying is people who are having trouble sleeping – never buy cheap pillows there's certain things which you should never buy cheap pillows are one of them invest in a good pillow and you'll help yourself i just sunk into that memory foam pillow last night it was absolutely wonderful i have to say and i agree i agree and i think on that night mate i think we've gone on long enough on this edition of uh, coffee break i've enjoyed it as per usual um if anyone else has enjoyed it please do let us know as you know i'm mr underscore worldwide underscore 88 on twitter and you are marcus at marcus stead yes please contact me well thank you to james it's been a pleasure as always do do send us in uh, any topics you'd like discussed in future editions and um, yeah we'll see you again this time next month do continue to listen to other talk podcasts uh, podcasts obviously we've got 20 minute topic will be back this weekend and also give it another plug where can we hear worthing commentary rebelyell.live on the internet and this uh it'll be this saturday i'll be appearing a week on saturday on the 15th against folkstone a real big just uh a big six pointer at the top of the league as i said so i'm sure marcus will be listening well, is, it, is I, it peter hunt this weekend peter vale Peter, Peter Vale, Vale. Is it? Sorry, Peter Vale will be, always be on it most of the time. He's a sort of main commentator, and he'll have people dip in and out like myself and some others on there. So it's fantastic. He's a good guy. He sounds really good on it. Mm. Um, but apart from that, I think why not next month tweet us in four subjects you'd like us to talk about on the on the coffee break, and hopefully maybe me and Marcus can sort out a podcast in the next few months, and we'll just have a few beers, get a bit merry, and. Chat. Oh, the, the, pubcasts, the, right. the pubcasts are always fun. If you haven't already listened to them, they're still on the website. But again, thank you very much, James, and we'll see you next month. <laughs>